0: This podcast is made available by Vision Christian Media. Thanks to the generosity of our supporters. Your donation today means great podcasts like this remain available to help people look to God daily. Please make your donation today at vision.org.au. Dr. Michael Yusuf and the impact of sin
1: and forgiveness. No matter how deep the sin is, God forgives it. There is no sin more horrible than killing of the Son of God, who came to bring us salvation and forgiveness. If God can forgive them who nailed the Son of God to the cross, no one can say, I have sinned beyond the reach of the mercy of God. No one. So what is this unforgivable sin?
0: Welcome to Leading the Way, an international ministry featuring Bible teacher Dr. Michael Yusuf. Pastors interact with people during the best of times and the worst of times, often fielding emotional questions about life, death, and eternity. One of the toughest of those questions is, is there an unforgivable sin? If so, have I done it? Today on Leading the Way, passionate words from the heart of a pastor to those who ask this very question, what
1: is the unforgivable sin? so many trendy churches today are preaching this popular message, that we believe in the God of the New Testament, but not the God of the Old Testament. That the God of the New Testament is a forgiving God, but the God of the Old Testament is a vengeful God. Today, I want to show you the fallacy of that false teaching, because the God of the Old Testament is the same God of the New Testament. We worship one God. We don't worship two gods. Because the God of the Old Testament and the God of the New Testament, the same God, have both justice and mercy, justice and forgiveness as two sides of one coin. You cannot separate them. They are inseparable. You cannot split them. You remove one in favor of the other, and you begin to worship a false god who is not the God of the Bible. Let me show you how forgiveness is an absolute intricate part of our God in the Old Testament. Psalm 86.5, you are forgiving and good, O Lord, abounding in love to all who call on you. In Psalm 103.3, God forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases. Daniel 9.9, the Lord our God is merciful and forgiving. Exodus 34, 6 and 7, the Lord, the Lord, compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger and abounding in love and faithfulness, forgiving wickedness and rebellion and sin. In Micah 7:18, who is like you, O Lord, who pardons sin and forgives the transgressions of the remnant of his inheritance? And the Old Testament not only declares the double-sidedness of God, forgiveness and justice, but also examples throughout the Old Testament of how God forgives. When Adam and Eve rebelled against Him deliberately, God could have killed them because they said, the day you eat, you'll die. But God forgave them. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, they all sinned, but God forgave them. Moses sinned, but God forgave him. And in the Old Testament, my goodness, as you read the whole history of the people of God, they rebelled against God over and over and over again. And yet again and again, God forgives them and He restores them. And in the New Testament, in Christ... God the Father, the God of so-called of the Old Testament, magnified His forgiveness in the Lord Jesus Christ. And that is why John tells us that if we confess our sins, if we repent of our sins, that God is faithful and just, and He will forgive us, what? All our sins. How many? All our sins. And purifies us from all unrighteousness. No matter how deep the sin is, God forgives it. There is no sin more horrible than killing of the Son of God who came to bring in salvation and forgiveness. Nothing could be more horrendous. Nothing could be more severe. Nothing could be more hideous. Nothing could be more vicious. Nothing could be more wicked or criminal. And yet when he hung on a cross and about to die, the Lord Jesus Christ prayed for their forgiveness. Father, forgive them for they know not what they're doing. And listen to me, beloved. If God can forgive them who nailed the Son of God to the cross? Nobody, nobody here, nobody in the world can ever say, My sins are too deep, they're too much to be forgiven. No one, no one, no one can say, I have sinned beyond the reach of the mercy of God. No one. With God, you see, there is no big sin and small sin, but God, sin is sin. There's no big and small. With God, there is no length of time of sinning that is too long. Whether you sin for six years or 60 years, sin is sin. Whenever you come to him asking him for forgiveness in genuine repentance, he forgives. With God, no matter... The kind of sin that is committed throughout the Bible and in history, we know that God forgives idolaters, He forgives murderers, He forgives adulterers, He forgives fornicators, He forgives cheaters, He forgives liars and homosexuals and blasphemers and drunkards and extortionists. He forgives every imaginable sin. When you come to God in genuine repentance and say, Lord, forgive me, He forgives you immediately and then he remembers it no more. The Bible said he throw it in the depth of the sea. It's an imagery that beyond our reach, he forgives the self-righteous person who for a long time thought that he or she too good, I and mean, they're very good, and they can really be accepted by God because of their goodness. When they repent, God forgives them. When they come to realize that they need His forgiveness and ask for it, they get it. He forgives those who might have rejected Christ out of ignorance at some point in their life. He forgives those who are in anger or ignorance. They may have cursed God. When they repent and come to Him and ask for His forgiveness, He forgives. The smallest sin, when it's confessed, God forgives it. The larger sin, when it's confessed, God forgives it. God's only condition for forgiveness is true repentance, genuine repentance, and asking for His forgiveness. So what is this unforgivable sin then? What is this unforgivable sin that some of you are concerned about, and you should be, because that's a very important issue. Please turn with me to Matthew 12, 22 to 32. In the context of this passage, a demon-possessed man who was both blind and dumb. He comes to Jesus, and Jesus sets him free. He casts out the demon, and he's completely healed. In a powerful demonstration of his supernatural authority over demonic forces, Jesus casts out the demons from that man. You see, the Bible in the Old Testament particularly makes it very clear That the greatest sign of who the Messiah is, is that he's going to have power. He's going to have authority over sin, over diseases, and over leprosy, and even over death itself. That's always the sign. Anybody who read the Scripture, those who are waiting for the Messiah to come, they knew this is the sign. That is why the passage said, those who are watching were saying, could be this the son of David, namely the Messiah. Because he was going to be the descendant of David. They were beginning to realize who he is, but not the religious leaders. The religious leaders refused to believe in his messiahship. They rejected his messiahship, even though they saw with their own eyes, they heard with their own ears, they touched with their hands, and yet they were adamantly and deliberately rejecting the messiah. Instead of believing in him, they accused him of being the chief demon. (laughs) That's what they were calling him. So knowing that this is going on in their head... And in their thinking, Jesus revealed the absurdity of their logic. Listen carefully. He told them that a house divided cannot stand. But their determination and their rebellious hearts continue to deny Jesus' messiahship. Then Jesus uses the example of how when somebody comes into the house of a strong man, He has first to bound the strong man, because that way you you subject him, you bound him, you keep him from resisting. And so you do that first, and then you walk out with the spoils, with those who have been bound in this man's possessions. And Jesus' point here is this, have I not demonstrated to you beyond the shadow of doubt my power over Satan and evil? Have I not proved to you again and again that my power is higher than Satan's? Have I not showed you beyond a shadow of doubt that my authority is far greater than Satan? Have I not proved to you by healing the sick, raising the dead, cleansing the leper, casting out demons, that I have Yahweh's power itself? Who else would have power like that except my Father in heaven? Who else would have such authority except my Father in heaven? Who else would have such dominion over Satan except my Father in heaven? Only God's power can enter into Satan's house and bind him, arrest him, and then release all of those who have been bound by Satan and sin in their chains something the 21st century church needs to learn. Of course, the final and ultimate death blow over Satan and his power came at the cross of Calvary. But nonetheless, even before the cross, Jesus demonstrated his unquestionable power over Satan and demons. And after the cross, he told his disciples, I give you that authority, something we need to learn. I give you that authority. Jesus makes it very clear. Verse 30, Matthew 12, verse 30. He who is not with me is against me. Listen carefully. Those who distort the picture of Jesus, those who preach uh, a revolutionary Jesus, those who preach a socialist Jesus, uh, those who teach that only one-sided character of Jesus, uh, those who create a Jesus that fits their own ideologies and their own desire, they are against Jesus. They're not just uh, have different interpretation of the Bible, they're against Jesus. They're not just to uh, have a, a different point of view, they're against Jesus. They don't just disagree about the Bible, they are against Jesus. Those who believe that Jesus is just a kind man, that Jesus is just a good person, a good teacher, those who believe that Jesus is just a, only a loving man, that Jesus is only a great man, they are against Jesus, even if they preach to large crowds on Sundays. That brings me again to the unforgivable sin. What about the sin that God will not forgive here or forever in eternity? Again, the answer is in the words of Jesus, not my words. Verses 31 and 32 in the Scripture, Matthew 12. Let me just read it to you. And so I tell you, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven men. Anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but anyone who speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven, neither in this age or the age to come. See, the reason this question was repeated by several of you, because perhaps there is no more misunderstood or misinterpreted passage than these two verses. Truly. Why? Because of the seriousness of this passage. Because of the finality of this ruling. Because of the cutting nature of that announcement of Jesus. And Jesus is saying that the sin of blasphemy is a conscious denouncing of unrejecting re- God. The blasphemy is that blatant defaming of God. Blasphemy is a deliberate defying of God. The blasphemy is the attitude of mocking God. And in the Old Testament, the punishment for that sin was stoning to death. But he said, even that blasphemy, when a person repents and asks God for forgiveness, he or she will be forgiven. And Paul confesses in 1 Timothy chapter 1 verse 13 that he was a blasphemer and a persecutor of the church, but then mercy was shown to him, and he was not only forgiven, but he was commissioned to be the apostle to the Gentiles. I know believers sometimes blaspheme the name of the Lord, whether they know it or not, when they question the goodness of God, when they question the wisdom of God, when they question the faithfulness and the love of God. But even all of this, be forgiven when repentance takes place, when asking for forgiveness takes place. If we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us. All our sins. Ah, but the blaspheming of the Holy Spirit, God never forgives. I told you this is a serious matter. What is that blaspheming the Holy Spirit? How does it work? Listen carefully. What if somebody doesn't know there is a Holy Spirit? I'm going to show you exactly what the Lord Jesus meant by this. He is speaking to those who have been exposed to the divinity of the Lord Jesus Christ, but they deliberately turn their back on it. He is speaking of those who fully understood that salvation comes through Christ alone, but they deliberately reject it. He is speaking of the person who knows that all the evidence points that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and they say, No, there is no definite article there. He is just a way, a truth, and a life. He is speaking of that person who says, I know what Jesus said, but I choose to believe that God is such vast and big God to only allow one way to Him. I mean, even the disciples who ate with Jesus and lived with Jesus, heard His teaching, saw the miracles, they had some doubts at times, but they were forgiven when they repented. Yes. Even Paul, the blasphemer, as I showed you, in ignorance, blasphemed the name of Jesus. He was forgiven and commissioned. Ah, but a deliberate determination, a determined rejection of the claims of Christ is irredeemable. I don't say that with joy. It's irredeemable. A deliberate refusing to believe the biblical evidence of who Jesus is, is unforgivable. Why does Jesus talk about this blaspheming of the Holy Spirit? Listen to me very carefully. Because the Holy Spirit is the one who reaches in our internal set of spiritual eyes. And he opens them. And we realize that we are sinners and heading for hell without salvation, without Jesus. And we come to him in faith. He is the one, and He's the only one, who reveals to us that Jesus is the only way to salvation. He's the only one who reveals to us that we are desperately in need of redemption of the cross. And that is why those who adamantly refuse to believe the truth about Jesus are actually knowing it or not. They are mocking, they are blaspheming the Holy Spirit. And that is why when someone says to me, I'm going to meet with the Reverend Dr. Superduck over there, who says that, yes, he heard the Bible, said Jesus is the way, but he doesn't agree with that, and he's teaching that Jesus is only a way. I said, don't waste your breath. Seriously. I'm not being harsh. I'm being truthful. Don't waste your breath. Don't waste your energy. Save your energy for sharing Christ with those who don't know the truth. Save your energy to those who have never heard the truth. Save your energy to share with those who don't understand the truth. Why? Because that so called Reverend Dr. Superdoc has deliberately and intentionally committed the unpardonable sin, and he has sinned beyond forgiveness and beyond redemption. Listen to me, beloved. Listen if there's one person here who have rejected the Son of God as the only ticket to heaven and redemption, I want to plead with you. Stop resisting. Stop resisting. Stop resisting. Stop Stop rejecting. For there come a time when the door will be shut and you would have committed the unforgivable sin. There's one person who would say, "Now I understand, and you turn your life to Christ." The Bible said, "Heaven will rejoice." One person. Let's think of how can I illustrate this to you? And I thought of a story from World War II, where there was an aircraft carrier in the North Atlantic. <laughs> they were engaged in heavy fighting with the enemy, and it's the ships and their submarines. And on an exceptionally dark night, six of the pilots took off from the courier to search for targets. And when they were up in the air, the enemy was attacking, and the order was given for the ship to have a total blackout. The courier had to shut off every light, which meant that those six pilots stranded They cannot see the ship to land. They were going around without the ability to locate their ship in this particularly dark night. The first pilot radioed and said, give us some light, and we will land. We can make it even if we have to fly through artillery attack. And the radio operator said, I cannot, I'm not permitted to give you any light because... It is a total blackout. The second pilot pleaded with the radio operator, give us just one light and we can make it. And the operator said, I am deeply sorry, but I cannot. Each successive pilot tried to plead with the operator to break the order, but he could not and would not. Then the radio operator, out of sheer frustration, reached over the switch and turned it off and broke all radio contact. And six red-blooded aviators in the prime of their manhood went down in the cold North Atlantic into their watery grave. Beloved, listen to me. There comes a time for those who deliberately reject the truth when God turns off the light. Amen. One of the passages, one of the words, few words in the scripture that haunted me for years is that how Noah preached for 120 years and nobody would listen. 120 years, they mocked him. And the Bible makes a statement. As I said, haunted me for years. And they said, God shut the door of the ark. You see, if Noah shut the door, is human out of compassion and sees his neighbors drowning and they're crying out, he would have been tempted to open it again. But the God of justice and the God of mercy shut the door. When the opportunity of salvation is gone, it's gone forever. Some of us actually believe that the Holy Spirit is beginning to depart. Not only our nation, but the world, stumbling in the dark. And that is why the Bible urges us again and again, now, is the acceptable time. Today is the day of salvation.
0: Are you resisting God's call to redemption? Thanks for listening to Leading the Way with Dr. Michael Yusuf and the message called The Unforgivable Sin. Got questions about salvation or eternity? Start by going to a comprehensive FAQ page at ltw.org slash Jesus. You can also begin a personal conversation with one of Leading the Way's pastoral team at ltw.org slash Jesus. You know, Leading the Way began as a local radio outreach to the city of Atlanta, where Dr. Yusuf served, and still serves, as pastor of the Church of the Apostles. From the beginning, Leading the Way committed to use all available technologies to reach the lost and equip the saints for ministry. And we're so thankful that technology has allowed Dr. Yusuf to reach lives across six continents in 26 of the world's most spoken languages and growing. One such story is that of a young woman born to a devout Muslim family in Egypt. In her early adulthood, she was introduced to several strong Christians. Through their lives and words, her eyes were opened to the love of Christ, and she ultimately accepted Jesus and was baptised. Because of her newfound faith, her family kicked her out of the house and beat her, and called the state security to report her infidelity. At one point, they even took her to sheikhs to rid her of the Christian demon. Her faith is growing, and she's very thankful for leading the Ways Ministry in the area. Without it, it would be very difficult for her to grow. You're encouraged to stand with Dr. Yusuf today in prayer that many more will be ministered to through these broadcasts, as well as through the -the on-the-ground field teams dedicated to evangelism, discipleship and helping hurting believers. Visit our website today for testimonies like this one, ltw.org, ltw.org. Well, that music means we must say goodbye. But you're invited to join us again next time when Dr. Yusuf begins a new series on Leading the Way called